Hey everyone, Stephen John here. Before we get to today's show with Lance Walnaut, we just wanted to give you all a quick update because this is episode... 100. 100 and everybody thank you so much for being part of this it's been just an incredible journey and you know a hundredth episode for us is just a huge milestone and we really wanted to celebrate this episode with just Absolutely. a special guest and we asked Lance Wall now if he would come back on which he did and honestly this is one of the most incredible interviews you'll ever hear and we're so excited for you to hear what Lance has to say, because this is all about everything that we've done in the last year, taking it, putting it a place in your life, moving it into action and getting those results that we all want to have. Right, Steve? Absolutely. And and as a way of us kind of figuring out, OK, where have we been the last hundred episodes? Where are we going for the next hundred episodes? We'd like to enlist your help. Yeah, the, the community that's been created around eternal leadership, everyone here has just been so warm and generous and giving. And we want to know exactly what you think and how we can serve you. You know, what is going on in your life that we can create episodes and content and posts and, and get resources in your hands. So please go to eternalleadership.com forward slash survey. We have a short survey there. It'll literally take you less than five minutes. So Steve and I are just asking you for five minutes of your time, and I'll guarantee you that we'll take that. It's anonymous. We'll put it to good use to serve you. Absolutely. And this is all about trying to figure out what needs you have in our listening audience. So that way we can develop programs, we can develop masterminds, we can develop uh, show topics, find guests that really help fill needs that you and our listening audience have. Yeah, so please, it's eternalleadership.com forward slash survey. And if there's anything Steve and I can do to serve you forward, please don't hesitate to reach out. John at eternalleadership.com and Steve at eternalleadership.com. I think the major one is one where you're stuck and God is the mischievous agent who's put you there and he's doing something you need to figure out. Uh, and nothing you're going to do is going to accelerate the process because it's going to take nine months to make that baby. And until then, you're stuck in a status called pregnant. Um, then there's other people that are actually in the stuck zone where um, they're reinventing who they are and what they're called to do. And they're in a very profound life transition. And then there are people that are stuck because they simply don't have guys like you and podcasts like this where they can get the key insight that will jolt them into the awareness of what to do with their Kiyosaki investment of money and how to make it multiply. And so without that insight, they're stuck in uh, not prospering. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Lance Walnow. Now, Lance is without question our most popular guest we've had on, and today we're going to basically continue our conversation that we started the last time we had him on and move from discovering your calling to moving forward and executing those dreams that God has placed in your heart. So without further ado, here's how my partner John Rampstead and I started this conversation with Lance Walnow on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have a very special guest for a very special show. Lance Walnaut, welcome back for our 100th episode of the Eternal Leadership Podcast. I am so honored that you guys were thinking about me on the 100th show. I, well, couldn't, I couldn't miss it. Well, you, you came on, you did a, our only two-part interview that we've ever done uh, about finding your calling and your purpose and, and pulling those together. 
and those have been listened to thousands and thousands of times across hundreds of countries. It's just been an incredible experience for us and also just getting to know you. And and what we talked about before bringing Lance on here is how do we you know take that, that uh, concept and bring it to the next level about really how do we put that into movement and momentum and results and what are we doing in our lives to really manifest all these things that we've been talking about on this podcast and and in all the feedback that we get from so many people in our audience uh, about identity and calling and what I should be doing and how I should be doing it. And what we really want to have is just this conversation about what to do next and how to just bring all these things that are in all of our heads into reality and really create that life that God meant us to live. So Lance, thank you so much for coming back on and, and taking this time with us. And we've come up with a, a number of topics, but before we start, I would love to just ask you, um, because you've been sharing so much on Periscope, and if if any of you are Periscope fans, go and just look up at Lance Wallnau, W-A-L-L-N-A-U, and you will be blessed with Lan- what, what Lance is sharing every day. But w- what is just on your heart right now that you've been just sharing with, with your audience, your tribe, Lance? Um, what is on my heart right now is the fact that we're living in a time that is requiring courage probably more than ever before. And our generation has had the benefit of a culture and an environment that has created a shield for us in many ways from having to be who we are and articulate our, our worldview and our thinking. And I, I just sense the personal courage, the courage to be authentic, the courage to be original, the courage to own your own opinion. I think it's, uh, it's a characteristic of people that are going to carve a path into their plan, purpose, and calling. And that word, you know, be bold, is so typically used of what God was saying to Joshua when he was crossing over. I think we're crossing over into a different era of time, and boldness or courage is going to be a, an attribute we're all going to learn to value as a prerequisite to manifesting what's on the inside of us. So, you know, so I was uh, talking with Steve, and I sent you this text. I was reading in First Chronicles 12.32, and it was about Issachar. Um, and, it, and it said Issachar, you know, uh, knew what they should be doing, understood the times, and told Israel what they should be doing. And I think this would be a great conversation right here if we kind of bring that into present day is what are your thoughts on what is really going on in this time that we're in, this era, and what should we be doing? You know, I was trying to look up that verse. You sent it to me as a text, uh, and he said, hey, I was thinking of you with this verse. And it's so funny because I couldn't get it to come up on my uh, iPhone. And I announced, thanks for bringing it up because it was one of those loops that has to be filled. This verse on Issachar is fascinating. I think if you look up the, the name Issachar in Hebrew, it could be translated as he brings his gift with him. Yes. Which is kind of interesting because um, part of the uh, secret of knowing what to do is to operate in the area of your gifting. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we are moving in that which we are gifted and called to do, we, I believe we will have extraordinary... Uh, intuition on the unfolding course of events that are happening in our field. And that heightened intuition or that prophetic perception enables us to respond so much more elegantly 
to the leading of the Spirit because we have an anticipation of where God is going. Now, I don't know, I forgot what the question was you asked, but I was so intrigued with that Issachar quote, I had to go there and just get that out of my head. As you get older, you just do that. You go on these little rabbit trails, and you hope that they were edifying. <laughs> well, it was edifying, but, you know, you know, in that verse, it said, you know, Issachar understood the times. Yes. And this is something that you've put a lot of, I mean, you are, one of your gifting is in just teaching and just understanding and I think looking at trends. And this is something we had talked to about before that we can get into a little bit uh, later about the uh, chaotic age, about this age of both chaos uh, and order. And I, and I think, yeah. you, know, you know, what really comes out of that, and we'll, we'll get into this, everybody listening, have a little patience with this, but really this whole concept of unity in the body, in ourselves, in our relationship with God is really where this brings us. But understanding the times that we're in right now, because here's, here's how I picture it, uh, just based on so much feedback we've gotten from our audience, I think there's so many people out there that are just ready to go. They've done work in their gifting. They understand some of their strengths. They're starting to get some clarity on what God's called them to do. You know, what does this life look like that God wants them to lead? Um, but just those small steps to take toward that direction elude a lot of people. And, you know, it was interesting. I was reading, um, it was actually in Robert Kiyosaki's book, uh, but he had this quote that I found that was fascinating. He said, if I gave $10,000 to 100 people, and I came back a year later, 80% of the people, that money would be gone. 16% of those people would have between 10,300, 10,500 people, but only 4% of those people would truly multiply that wealth. And what his point was, a lot of people really understand the concept of subtraction. <laughs> That's 80%. 16% know how to save, but only 4% really know how to multiply. And if we capture that into kingdom principles, I, you know, if you really pull that in, you know, it's like what uh, Solomon asked for God when he gave him, said, hey, what, what, what do you want? And he wanted wisdom. And I think the, that 4% in the kingdom that really value knowledge and wisdom are the ones that are really moving the needle in the culture, in the world, in the kingdom. And I'd love your thoughts on how do people move into that four percent yeah well you know uh, and what's uh, interesting about that kiyosaki illustration is and that's the argument with wealth distribution i mean so let's say that uh, all the money that was available that theoretically was sufficient for everybody was redistributed so that everybody had the same amount of money a year from now the money would be redistributed again because the people that didn't know how to handle it would be without it and the people that knew how to multiply it would be in repossession of it Yes. And so, so it raises an interesting idea, doesn't it? And, and you're kind of you're, you're going in the area of what, is the, what are the force multipliers? If you wanted to use language, it was marketing oriented. What are the force multipliers that in our lives can cause us to have the, uh, the hundredfold return versus 30 or 60? And um, I think the parable of the sower does say something, doesn't it, about mm -hmm the different uh, degrees of yield that come off of the same seed. It's interesting, the same revelation, the same insight, the same book. Uh, Kiyosaki's book probably could be distributed to 10,000 people, and you'll find the same ratio of how many people are going to put it to work and actually make money off of his theories. And so the, uh, you know, what it comes back to is people do best um, what they um, 
what what is what is what resonates with their design. It's it's a great quote, you know. I don't want to climb the ladder of success and find out at the end of my life is leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah. So for your audience, it's such a fascinating audience to me in this sense that they are pursuing excellence in leadership, they're pursuing a mastery in their profession, but they're doing it uh, with a uh, with a with a desire to line it up with the ultimate calling and purpose of their lives' existence. And I think that that's the key question. It's uh, how am I showing up in this moment, and how does it match the person that I really want to be? And that's ultimately a great defining question in any area of your life that makes you become true to your ultimate calling. How is the person I most want to be going to handle this? And then you kind of look at the areas of your life, finance and relationships and career and spirituality and marriage. And uh, instead of starting with, um, uh, with a less personal question, I like, the, I like to tie it back into me. I want to find out who is the person that I'm called to be in this thing. And in being true to that, I can face judgment, I can face death, I can face the end of life and know that I've lived extracting all the juice out of every moment up until this moment. So now there's so many people you've worked with, Lance. When you're having that conversation with people, what, what do they? What helps them just move forward with clarity? Well, the uh, part of it is being able to have a um, a reflection on what has led me up to this moment. Um, and I want to give you a quote. I'll give you a question that was from, you know, we talk, We were talking earlier uh, before the show. I was just catching up with some stuff I was reading lately. Um, the founder of the Visa Company and the questions that he asked to um, really bring himself into ultimate transformation and to create the credit card, which was a whole new paradigm on finance. And here's the question, to your point. He, uh, he said, um, why not ask yourself, if anything imaginable is possible, if there was no constraints whatsoever, what would it take to create the quality of life that you really want? Or what would it take to create the massive change in society that you seek? But the key there is to ask yourself better questions and to get out of your ego and to be, and to be honest in your answer. But to ask if anything imaginable was possible, if there were no constraints, whatever, what would it take to create massive institutional change throughout society? And I think that uh, change agents or uh, believers are all called ultimately to answer a call of utilizing our gifts and talents and abilities for the purpose of bearing fruit, being fruitful. We have to define what that fruit looks like at the end of the day. How do and, you define that? Well, I think, I think that's why I'm so big on when you guys talk about identity calling and purpose i mean you're going right to the root of the conversation because fruit is always connected to the root and the root has to do with um being able to exegete and analyze who are you uniquely made to be that is different than other people and what is it that you are uniquely called to do that is uh, your own responsibility that other people could never do for you or do the way you do it and somehow in answering those questions, we're coming down to the, the question of calling. 
And that's why I'm so big on career and calling, because the vocation, the word for vocation, vocare, you know, is the word in Latin for calling, that our work in God's will, I believe, ultimately, our work is our ministry. Our ministry is the expression and the utilization of what we are gifted to do and to bring into the world that wouldn't exist unless we showed up. So when we hear back from so many people that seem to be stuck, where do you think being stuck comes from? Uh, good question, and it depends on which phase and type and quality of stuck you're in. So, for instance, you might be Joseph, stuck in a prison, um, and you've done everything right up until now, and you can't figure out why it is that that um, butler that you interpreted the dream for forgot you for two years. But we would call that stuck an isolation process event. So that means that there are certain people that are caught up in phases of life where there's nothing wrong, but they can't figure out why they can't move on. And what they haven't yet figured out is that in the processes of God working with them, some of them require you to have delays where he's doing something far more profound in your personality, character, and personal history than in your circumstance. And when the process is over, you will find history will catch up with you and you'll be promoted and you'll make up for that, mark, you know, that, that period marking time. So there's a version of stuck where a person listening actually might just get delivered knowing that there are plenty of evidences in history where Moses was stuck on the backside of a desert and Paul was stuck in prison talking to Felix every day and Joseph. There are times when we're really not stuck. We're a prisoner of a process and, and it's God's pleasure to have us in, a, in, 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 the, in the sense, in the tension of being able to do more, but not being free to do it yet. Uh, so that's one kind of stuck. Another kind of big professional stuck is the one that hits around 50 and thereafter. And it's the second phase and four phases of um, transformation and recycling uh, where a person hits a stage called the doldrums. The doldrums is when you're no longer in the convergence, the flow, the excitement, the, the, uh, the slipstream of activity that was bringing you alive and things were working. And in fact, you're still doing what you were doing, but the zippity doo is done you know, and, the, and the excitement's not there. And it's kind of the soda's flat and you're doing it. And, and, and now you're no longer stimulated by the very thing that used to be so stimulating. Something's changed. You've, almost, you've almost plateaued. Yeah, you're on, you're on this plateau, and I think what happens is when you're on a plateau, uh, because if you're not really pursuing something that's worthwhile in your life, it almost feels as if you're going backwards, kind of slowly sinking down into that valley, and we don't like being into that place, and I think that really creates a tremendous amount of discontent in, our, in just how we see it, things and view things. It does, and, and I would say that dissimilar from a process or an isolation process event, is that you could really, uh, that in, in this stage, what's happening is you're recreating yourself. And what's going on there is this, is, this is the caterpillar phase, where you are going into the cocoon, and you're, um, you're dissolving an old structure, identity, and world, and allowing God to reconnect together the parts that resonate with a whole new vision of who you are and what you're called to do. And when you come out of that cocoon, you start experimenting with new models, ideas, and then you begin to discover what works, and boom, you're off again 
in a convergence zone where everything's flowing really good. What you have to do is prepare yourself for the fact that there could be another cycle in the process where you're going to plateau again. But the plateau in, in some people's lives, um, the stuckness may be they lack technique, they lack knowledge, they lack the right mentor, they lack the right insight as to what to do. Issachar knew what to do. If you don't know what to do um, and you've got your money parked in a bad investment and other people do know what to do, what you need to do is find out what to do. But there's other times when you are actually doing everything you know how to do, but you're waiting on God to do what only he can do. And then there's a time when your stuckness is because God is um, actually going to reinvent who you are and what you're called to do, and it doesn't happen often. But those reinvention processes are extremely profound because they're wilderness experiences where um, you are not just waiting for God to release you. You are recreating what's about to be released. Yeah, and that that's very similar to the experience that I've personally been through the last four years since the accident I had, and Steve has had a very similar experience, but everything's gone into into his life, so I, I can relate to that. So these different areas of stuckness, any other areas that are coming to mind, Lance, or do you think that's kind no, of the, I th- some I, of the I, major I think, ones? I think the major one is one where you're stuck and God is the mischievous agent who's put you there, and he's doing something you need to figure out. Uh, and nothing you're going to do is going to accelerate the process because it's going to take nine months to make that baby. And until then, you're stuck in a status called pregnant. Um, then there's other people that are actually in the stuck zone where um, they're reinventing who they are and what they're called to do. And they're in a very profound life transition. And then there are people that are stuck because they simply don't have guys like you and podcasts like this where they can get the key insight that will jolt them into the awareness of what to do with their Kiyosaki investment of money and how to make it multiply. And so without that insight, they're stuck in uh, not prospering. So I'd really encourage people, you know, wherever those areas of stuckness are that you relate to, reach out to us. We'd love your feedback. You can just email us, go on the website. We'd love to help you with that because uh, some of the things you're saying are, are really resonating. And I wanted to bring up this point. Uh, I'll just I'll just quote it because you wrote it on your blog, Lance. But you said, this is a year when a few key relationships and just a few key idea, ideas are going to yield the lion's share of your harvest. You don't need to sweat and strain. You need to discern these critical few key relationships and ideas, and the fruit will follow. I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit because I found that personally very powerful. Yeah, and I, it really is It's just a sense of it. It's an intuition and a prophetic sense because it's true for me, and I think it's going to be true for a lot of people that I'm connected to, that um, where the, you know, like the Bible says, where the ax is dull, it's Ecclesiastes 10.10, then you've got to really apply a lot more exertion. But where it's sharp, then uh, you don't have to labor so hard. And then it says wisdom is profitable to direct. So when we're dull of perception, regarding those key people and key initiatives that can make the biggest cut and difference, um, then we put a lot more effort and sweat and energy into making something happen than is necessary. And what was missing was the wisdom to discern. And so uh, we need to discern who are the key individuals in our life that make the greatest force multiplier in our life. And what are the key opportunities in our life that make the greatest uh, force multiplication? Uh, I, somebody wrote, said something recently, and it really struck me, and they said, you know, what you need is 
knowledge that someone else possesses that you don't have. So trying harder isn't going to be your solution. You've got to find that person. And I thought about it and I said, dang, that is so true because what you really need to get to the next level in something is going to take you a long time to acquire by trial and error on your own. Somebody else already has the missing piece. So we have to um, pray that person into our lives. It's, I'm, I'll tell you a prayer that a CEO, uh, actually it's Na- Norm Miller, I'll tell you who it is, uh, from Interstate Battery, a billion-dollar company. And he told a friend of mine when he hired him, he said that he, was, he had a meltdown years ago with, oh, turnover in the company and staff problems and growth problems. This is before he even hit a billion dollars. And he was talking to another CEO buddy of his about his, oh, how could he sleep at night? He's just got so much agita. And the guy was a Christian. He said to him, you know what? I learned a prayer I prayed years ago. And ever since I prayed it, I slept like a baby. And Norm said, I learned that prayer. And when I learned that prayer, it changed everything in my life. And I've been able to sleep ever since. Wouldn't you like to know what that prayer is? Yes, I would. Of course. All right. Well, here it is. He prayed every day. Lord, you know my calling. You know my situation better than I do. I surrender everything about me and my business to you. I ask you to bring into my life those people that need to be here to help me do what you call me to do. And I ask you to create natural and grace ways for those who don't belong here to find their place someplace else. Mm. And so what he did was he gave permission for the Lord to prune the tree and allow people to effortlessly move out of his world and for those that need to come in to be drawn in. And he was always in a place where he was aware that there could be things developing where people are not going to be staying and he had to have grace to allow them to move forward, knowing that God was constantly replanting in his business those people that needed to be there. And once he got that that prayer alignment in a sense, right? He had peace of mind over the the um, the, com- the complexities of what his missing piece was. And frankly, he told to a guy he was hiring who ended up becoming for him the answer to that prayer and multiplied his wealth significantly. I love that prayer. You know what? I'm, we're going to uh, write that out verbatim and put that in the post for this episode. It'll be eternalleadership.com forward slash 100, because I'm sure people are going to want to go back um, who who are listening to this in their car or whatever, and just be able to incorporate that into their life. And I thought, you know, even before I was a believer, I I was going down to Navy flight school. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And I was told that of every 10,000 people that apply, uh, only one person gets into the cockpit of a fighter. And I was honestly very intimidated going down to even start this journey. My dad pulled me aside on my way down there, Lance. He said, listen, when you get down there, there's going to be a student who's just number one, who's ace of the base, who's tearing it up. Go find that person. Go ask him what he's doing and just go duplicate what's made them successful. And I went and found this guy. His name was John Foster. He graduated number one. He had a very, I won't go into the whole story. He had a very unique perspective on how to study, how to prepare, how to do everything in this very high stake. We, if you failed one flight out of 300 flights, you were done with the program, by the way. And I followed, John became a friend and a mentor. I followed what he did. And I graduated number one in primary. 
I got into Jets. And I I graduated number one in advanced uh, Jets, and was able. The only only the one the person that graduates number one is able to pick what airplane they want to fly, and I was able to pick to fly F-14s. And um, I don't say that to brag about myself. I want to just illustrate a point that if you do, you go find that one person that has that knowledge, that key piece that just fits into what you're trying to accomplish, and they can impart that into you, they can mentor you, they can help you. I think maybe that's a reason why a lot of the people are just, it's hard to get off that. It's like we're, we're at the starting gate of a race and your feet are in the blocks and and um, and you're just uh, sometimes just afraid to just sprint out of those blocks because you don't know because you can't see where the path is going yeah you know what you need you need somebody to run with yeah and that's why i said at the very opening i think be bold be courageous means be uh that courage is the uh ability to risk failure and recognize that you're made of hardier stuff than you think and that um, we can afford the failures because the failures are actually, in many cases, advancing us closer to the acquisition of what we want. And if we are too cautious, and I think I, I, a friend of mine, I talk, I've had two conversations today that are both coming back to me while I'm talking to you. And one of them said to me, he's a major political advisor. He's a political consultant in the American landscape. And we were talking about people coming to him and talking all throughout the couple of last years on third parties and the idea of his role in the third party you know, consultation in American politics. And, uh, and I was, uh, I, you know, we both had our opinions on that subject and I, I said, I just don't see any, and we both agree that this is, this isn't a season where that really is a, there's a, a dialogue about that happening. But he said something curious. He said, you know, the problem with a lot of initiatives anyway, is that by the time people get around to wanting to make them, the season has passed. So mm-hmm. even if an idea does not seem to be totally perfect. The, the other part that you have to think about is not only does the idea good, but is there a time stamp on the um, expiration date for that idea? And what you want to do is you want to always be cognizant of the fact that there are some things you're never going to be 100% certain about. Um, and anytime you do it, you're going to find out if it works. But the variable is timing, not the idea. And if you wait too long, you may miss the window for that idea entirely. So better to fire and um, not be certain of the result than to wait for absolute certainty and find out that the timing is off and the window's passed. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point, and we also talked about this a little bit before we got started, uh, just about this age and this era that we're in right now. And there's a lot of transition points right now. This is, it almost feels to me like we're, like, like the next 10 years are going to be very different from the last 10 years. Like, this is a pivot point for a lot of things. Um, what God is moving in our culture, business, society, how we communicate, this millennial generation, which is 25% of the workforce right now, they're going to be 75% of the workforce in just 10 years. And they have a very, very different kind of mindset and experience and attitude. So there's a lot of things changing. So, you know, as people that are in leadership roles, they're in business. Um, how do they think about what's happening right now to take advantage of what you said so that, so they're not missing some of this timing? Yeah, well, you know, it's a sore subject for me because what I've found in my life is the frustration is that um, 
I've anticipated that we're going to be in a season of profound change. And so I started teaching years ago on seven mountains of culture and then kept cultivating that. I never wrote on it. Lots of other people wrote and a lot of other people did sermons and stuff on the subject. And what I found was that, um, that frankly, when you are a futurist and you see where the future is, you have to know that you're in the minority of people. And if you're looking for broadband confirmation and buy-in on your thinking, you're, you're, it won't happen. Because if you're really a futurist, until that time comes, people don't resonate with what you're saying. Um, they may find it intriguing, but they're not, they're not necessarily moving in that reality, and they don't want that reality. Now, uh, I'm sitting back and saying, you know, for 10 years, I've been talking about the indispensable necessity of believers engaging culture, taking their careers as a point of penetration and shaping institutions and influencing the environment. And uh, that we really need to be making the films and we really need to be um, defending a worldview on campuses and, and um, we need to be at the front lines of this battle. And so I feel as though that the, that the church to a great extent hasn't gone there because when they want to go into um, the chaotic world, which is the word that, dis- that Hawk created to describe where chaos and an emerging order intersect, that space, like on the edge of a wave, where you ride a wave, that when, uh, as, as, the, as we're feeling, as you described, that change is happening, millennials, not just millennials in the workforce, but what future are they going to have? Mm-hmm. As we're talking this week, China, now I just talked to a senior economist this week, China has done uh, forced stoppages on their uh, stock market, they've shut things down, because unlike the United States, the Chinese yuan, the economy, is done by decree. There isn't natural dynamic forces that are working in the Chinese economy. They are, there's a political party telling the economy what it's going to do. But uh, science is a very stubborn thing. You can't create your own science. You've got to work with the reality of what is. And we don't understand what's behind the curtain in China economically. But literally, there could be, within the next few months, a complete um, uh, disruption of the China economy, which will have a global impact because America is so tied into China. Now, you know, millennials, what are they going to do? And uh, what are you going to do? And what am I going to do? I think these institutional disruptions need to be anticipated economically, socially, politically, um, with uh, dealing with Islam. And I have friends that are in the Middle East. And, you know, we have people that are listening to this broadcast that are in the Middle East. I'm saying that believers need to start to think about how to create the world that manifests the kingdom of God and start to think instead of leaving earth and, um, and crossing their fingers and hoping nothing bad happens in their lifetime. I think we ought to be a people who are navigating the chaotic universe, that we are chaotic wave riders, that we are learning how to be so secure in our calling and on our identity and so open and flexible regarding our expectations of how the world's going to be looking, that we are navigating on a day-to-day basis based upon a sense of prophetic destiny and purpose rather than on a set of assumptions regarding how the world's going to work. And I think we need to be looking at our callings as how we engage the universe around us to shape the garden like Eden, shape our community, shape as thought leaders our field that we're in, and let the genius of God rise up on the inside of you. 
the, uh, the, the children of Israel were ten times smarter than the children of Babylon. And the more we move into a Babylonian world, the more God is going to put his hand upon his people to make them distinct from the rest of the culture by not their natural intelligence, but by the enhancement of their natural ability through the spirit of God that is dwelling in them. And we should, we should be creating communities that are thinking this way, talking this way, and supporting and challenging each other to show up um, like Daniel did in Babylon. Do you have any examples of that that come to mind to illustrate that point, Lance? Yeah, and, and I think that, um, you know, uh, the, the interesting thing is those examples are, are actually all around us. We just have to, we have to, we have to look at the context of history um, through a different lens. So, uh, man, there's so many of these, these that come to my mind. But, for, you know, for the most important fundamental culture shifter that I can think that we can learn from would be somebody who in the uh, turn of the century in the 1800s, like William Wilberforce, as he was working through the calling uh, that was on his life as a statesman and politician, he surrendered it to the higher calling of transforming the culture of the United Kingdom and England uh, to a, back to its, its um, Christian base from its, um, from its pagan or, uh, evolution where it had headed. And he wanted to deal with the eradication of slavery. Those two issues for him gave definition to all of his labors in Parliament and to how he spent his time commiserating with who and what he talked about. And uh, Wilberforce, is a, I think, is a great example of somebody whose gifts and abilities were force multiplied into a network of people that worked together to shape society so that um, in their partnership together, they were able in 40 or 50 years to actually uh, rewrite the culture of their own nation. And they did it through their careers. The writers wrote. The actors acted. The, um, the politicians legislated. The activists organized. And they created um, societies that were single-issue groups that took on single issues they were passionate about. And they were fed and sustained by revivalists who kept their heart strong. I mean, that's a very powerful chapter in history that nobody looks at. But, I mean, I look at that whole, that whole concert there, and it's as though God pulls the curtain back and says, here's how it works if you work, if you work as one. And I can, give you the, I can give you the opposite of that, and how the devil does it in history also. But, but to me, those, those are examples that are like screaming at us at signposts. Well, you know what I'm pulling out of that as you're talking, and I think it's a real leadership crisis that we have right now. There's so much information, there's so much training and seminars and tools and books and courses that we're all exposed to all the time. But what allowed you know you to be successful, William to be successful, is really the singleness of purpose. Really narrowing this down and figuring out what is what is the essential thing to focus on that really taps into that identity, to that calling, to those gifts, and just really working in it. Because unless you really have clarity on on that, how do you find that one key relationship, that one key opportunity that comes into your life that really it becomes that keystone that, that, that you build off of? And I think that maybe that's something to really think about is, is 
if we're examining in our life, do we have arrows that are pointing everywhere because everything's interesting to us? Or, or is there a way to bring all these arrows all pointing in one direction toward one goal, toward one end that we've been called to do, and then putting you know, 80 or 90% of our energy, 100% of our energy into that arrow, that direction? Yes, and it might be an opportunity for your listeners. Uh, we didn't we didn't talk about this earlier, but I'm going to throw this out. There might be a process that we can do. We can't do it on this broadcast, but we can talk about it now and suggest that if anyone's interested, we can uh, we could set up a place, a page that you guys have where they could sign up and get access to this. Because I would love to do a little product with you, and the product would really be focusing on this this place called convergence uh cool language used by uh, a researcher at fuller seminary named bobby clinton who talked about the intersection where your life purpose the thing that you were born to do intersects with your with a role that empowers you to do it Mm. and um and so uh a key to being able to get to those arrows pointing together is to be able to understand what convergence looks like in your life before it happens. Therefore, like Jesus said, for the joy that was set before him, you know, the Bible says he endured the cross because there was, because you can see what God is doing in the convergence outcome. You're willing to endure the process to get there. And what I would love to do is explore what are the key elements to making convergence happen? Because once you get into that convergence process and convergence zone, um, then you can be, then in a sense, I, I don't want to sound too mystical, but you are no longer trying to make things happen. You're discerning the unfolding of what God is setting up in your life. That's where you discover the relationships you need versus the ones that are bonus and unnecessary and the initiatives you need versus the ones that are bonus but unnecessary. And now the sword or the axe is sharp because you're working with the unfolding of a divine blueprint rather than trying to make something happen. Yeah, and you know, you've helped me get to convergence, Lance. So this would be powerful for everybody. And here's my my take on that. When you get in convergence, like using that sharp axe, cutting wood becomes easy when the axe is sharp. And when I got into convergence, and I feel like I'm operating there now, things in my life got so much easier. And it's and it I always felt for the 45 years as I was in business and building companies and doing things that, 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 that like, I don't know, it was like this righteous, self-righteous struggle and I was proud of it. Um, but you know what? That's not a fun place to operate, man. It, you get tired and I was tired of being tired. And yeah. I, I think that is a huge benefit. So let's do that. Let's create that. Everybody that's listening to this, we'll have something on the website and uh, we'll put something together with Lance. You'll be able to go there and, and sign up. And as soon as we have something together, we'll announce it and we'll be able to pull you into that. Um, you know, And as we wrap up here, uh, what are just some final thoughts you'd like to leave with people, Lance, as we as we wrap up our hundredth episode? The kingdom is coming. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Jesus basically said, "Here's the prayer you pray: Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven." There is a fresh installment of God's plan for your life that is wanting to become manifest. And uh, therefore, you don't have to try to create something. You literally have to uh, cooperate with what wants to emerge. And the new art 
uh, in this hour is going to be how to move against the current of strife and stress and the political season of warfare and the tension that is in the earth and how to dial down in a way and get uh, closer to the roots of the script that God has written for you before you were born. If you think that you are in an evolutionary battle of survival of the fittest, like the 300 pilot type thing, Mm -hmm. then your mentality is highly competitive and disconnected and stressed out. Uh, But if, on the other hand, you're operating from the paradigm that God has called you to be a fighter pilot and that he's going to give you the grace to cooperate with the unfolding sequence of events and that all things are working together for good if you love God and are pursuing that calling. Then, um, then, you, then, then a different kind of equanimity, a different kind of poise comes into your life. And the stress starts to relax. And you start to move fluidly rather than rigidly with the unfolding order of events. Because the kingdom actually wants to manifest. So our job is to start to discern what is wanting to show up and how to cooperate with it. And what does that require of us in terms of growth, change, and awareness so that we can uh, manage ourselves properly and and cooperate with what wants to show up. Well, Lance, thank you so much for sharing that. For me, that was just powerful what you shared. And and I'm sure everybody listening is going to want more. So you can go to LanceWallnow.com, um, L-A-N-C-E-W-A-L-L-N-A-U.com. You're also on Periscope. You can just type in Lance Wallnow in Facebook. You have a very active and engaged community there you're on twitter um it's but it's just been a just a joy and a blessing getting to know you my friend if there's anything we can do our community can do to serve you forward please please let us know at any time and i just i just want to say to those that are listening that you two guys are some of the sharpest uh most powerful you're like google stock that's about to explode (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, so um, I think that anybody that's listening to you would do well to listen to everything you've got. Go back into the other interviews you've got, other material you've got. Stay connected. Track with you. Follow you on Twitter and Facebook like I do. And um, let's, let's, let's us continue to keep the conversation going because I think we're tapping into something in these dialogues that is going to help build a great community for, uh, for all of us. If you'd like to learn more about Lance, his materials, like his new Killer Sheep Reformer series, his blog, his Facebook and Periscope broadcasts, a lot more, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 100. That's eternalleadership.com slash 100. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Refer.com. When John was building a $300 million book of business for his financial advisory firm, he used spreadsheets, calendars, CRM, etc. to manage relationships and get business and referrals. Refer.com automates all that work in relationship management. Both John and I use Refer.com and we can't recommend it highly enough. In fact, the survey that John and I talked about at the top of the show, a number of people have said they would like more clients. Check it out. You'll be able to try it for free for 14 days. Refer.com slash eternal leadership and refer.com slash eternal leadership. And if you go to that link, you can receive a free report on the five biggest referral killers. Refer.com slash eternal leadership. Next time on Eternal Leadership, Matt Hurd joins us to talk more about living life with a capital L. I like, I think, a lot of other people in churches and Christian circles, when I hear that phrase eternal life, I key in on, and I think we all key in on the adjective, not the noun. 
we've forgotten that we've got to focus not only on the eternal part, which is the quantitative, but with the qualitative aspect, which is life. And when we talk about eternal life just as a synonym for heaven, we're missing out on some of the power of the gospel. The gospel is not just about getting me into heaven, but it's getting life back into my humanity in a God-glorifying way. His first interview was one of our top downloaded episodes, and this one is a classic as well for John Ramstead. I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>